You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hi, Sean here, opening part two of our discussion from last week with Mo and Jad from Cat Iron Art, based in the UAE, Dubai. Check out part one in the show notes. And we continue our discussion here with discussing the differences between GameFound and Kickstarter. I mean, so first of all, on the difference between Kickstarter and, uh, and GameFound in terms of the, the marketing, I found that for smaller projects or, or for, for projects that do not have the, the worry or the ambition to go to uh, uh, millions or, 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 or hit the maximum amount uh, of, of, of customers that, that it can, there is sort of a low-hanging fruit in GameFound by just putting your preview page out there early on. There's a natural gather of followers that happens with zero marketing spend that is just not there on Kickstarter. Like, interesting. interesting. Yeah, which is, I, I, and I've, we've seen this with uh, One Earth, mm-hmm. and we've seen this with right now for the Conqueror expansion. With zero advertising whatsoever, We've managed to gather uh, at least 400, 500 followers on the on the page. If you convert, mm-hmm. let's say 40 percent, 30 percent, that's that's even 20 percent. Even 20 percent. Yeah, that's decent. That's 100 people. If if mm-hmm. you're if, if you're planning on making a small project with absolutely no budget to spend on marketing, that's that's already a, an amazing number. You you could you could easily do a a project uh, at, uh, for for a couple of hundred people where you print it print through and play, a, uh, yeah, a print and play or uh, whatever uh, drive through drive through cards or uh, the game crafter or, or any of those tools. So that, that that's a massive difference, I think, between the two platforms, where the potential to grow on Kickstarter is much larger, but the barrier to entry on GameFound is much lower. And, and and Jad, may I just add yeah. to that? So we're not obviously advocating that we shouldn't advertise. We advertise. Yeah. We advertise on Earth. We advertise, and we have a, a decent marketing spend and advertising spend. But I think, in addition to what Jad is alluding to, if you look at Kickstarter and GameFound, there's uh, Kickstarter is a much bigger market. The potential is much bigger, but on GameFound, you get more attention for a smaller project. Because the number of projects on the platform is lower, it's mm-hmm. it's easier to find a project on the platform. Even when you let, I think on, with one Earth for a, a week, an and entire guys, week, and the guys in Game Found care, they care about every single yes. creator, and they care about highlighting those creators, which is, I think is amazing. It, which it, which is incredible, and and you know for an entire week, I think our project was like highlighted as the project on Game Found yeah. uh, for for a small project and only raised about fifteen thousand dollars, and. And I think that's an advantage for GameFound for smaller designers. Now, the disadvantage is Kickstarter will will get you more traffic. You might actually, you know, if you don't bring your own audience on GameFound, you might not hit your target. That is, I think you guys have covered this as well in the past, and we completely agree with you. But I think the the other side of the coin is is also important to to highlight. That's really cool. I actually find, um, you know, GameFound, when when we, I can't remember where this stat came from, but it was a recent... A statistic, they have about one and a half million unique visitors per month. Kickstarter has about seven and a half million unique visitors per month. Wow. But if you look at it, like, you know, Kickstarter has many projects. Board games make, you know, let's, let's just say, let's be on the, um, you know, I don't know, on the 
safe side and say that 40%, it's around 35 to 38% of all Kickstarter's revenue comes from board games. So if we were to, you know, divide 7.5 million by, by that amount of people, it's only 3 million, an yeah. audience of 3 million people um, in the board game space. We know actually through tabletop analytics, I can tell you that there are about 2 million backers in the U.S. There are about 500,000 backers in Europe and the, the, the backers in other regions range. So you have around 2.5 million unique backers per year that are from these various, uh, you know, major locations. Um, sometimes the U.S., you know, in recent years, has been as low as a million and a half. And at, at the high, it's just been, you know, 2.1 million or so. That tells me that GameFound's traffic is catching up, uh, like, significantly it for is. all of the alpha gamers that are visiting Kickstarter that would back a project that's like $400. They all know about GameFound. I'm so yes. about it, you know? <laughs> and, and they <laughs> because... all visit GameFound, right? I mean, I, right. I every Tuesday I'm on Kickstarter, I'm on GameFound, and I'm backing a project. I mean, it's it's and, a habit now. Yeah, and I, think I know. What's the platform has to also do with your project and the theme and the audience for your project as well? Yeah. So if if you're targeting alpha gamers, if your if your project is is like Deliverance, for example, you could go either way because you're gonna get the alpha gamers mm -hmm. here or there. But if your your project is, is like ATW, which is casual yet niche. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. GameFound would be would be a graveyard for a project like like ATW unless you you built unless your audience you built your already. Audience yeah. already. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's a good point because you guys made a choice to go to Kickstarter when you've used both platforms for this ATW yeah. Extreme edition. And uh yeah, I would love to hear you speak more to that. Yeah, so so definitely I think we've uh done something with uh with ATW Extreme which is a bit different which is with the realization that Yes, the people who are who are buying our product are board gamers and are card gamers, but they are not the they're not the super alphas. They're not they're not they are I don't want to say they are casual, but they are not the type of person who is on top of all the news all the time when it comes to the board game industry. Some of them are. Some of them but are. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. as a general rule of thumb, the 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 the, the mean is 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 a little bit more on the uh, on the casual side so with that realization we realized that in our marketing we have to sort of li limit the number of touch points before before conversion and this is something that i think andrew you you might you might not like because you just mentioned this but we found better success for marketing atw by pushing ads for follows more than uh more uh, email gathers but exactly. that's for the expansion, yeah, for the where expansion. we already had a strong mailing had list. A, yes, a mailing yeah. list. Yeah. But when, when we looked at the cost of acquiring a follower on, 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 uh, on uh, Kickstarter, it was about a couple of dollars as well. And the conversion was the, higher. The, the, and the, and the, the, our conversion mm -hmm. from follower to backer is around 30%. Yeah. And at worst, it's 20%. Our conversion on the mailing list was around... Is that between between three and five percent? Yeah. Yep. So so that's it, very it, interesting. Yeah. So yes, we're 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 missing out on getting the email right away to go into our database, but if twenty percent of those people who are actually buying products and then will get their emails when they buy the product, now mm -hmm. now now we have super backers here. Now we have yeah. uh, we have a weighed audience that you can really make sure if you're going to do a lookalike audience for them on Facebook later, these are super high value audiences. So. You're just deferring the email acquisition until after the purchase.
And, yeah. and, and Andrew, I mean, an, an important point here is we've noticed every project has a different way to approach it. So yep. if we did that with ATW, we would have been done, right? I mean, we would have not backed, definitely not backed in two hours, not funded in two hours. We'd have definitely not hit for that success campaign. for the original yeah. campaign. Mm -hmm. But on Extreme Edition, we were comfortable. We had a good product. We had good reviews. We had a lot of videos on Dice Tower, on Shelf Side, all loving the game. We had a loyal following. Our retail sales were telling us that we actually did much better than Kickstarter on retail. So we already knew that we we're coming in with a lot of momentum. And that allowed us to sh shift strategies. But for example, on Conqueror Empire Rises, we're, mar we're advertising directly to, to get some more emails because mm -hmm. we need those emails initially to build that list. One thing I noticed as well with your all-time wrestling extreme is that you were able to utilize a lot of the marketing assets from the original campaign, yeah. right? So you have a lot of reviews that you just, you know, cause it's an expansion. So yeah. you're able to like re recoup a lot of your costs and investment in the first campaign, just leverage them on your second campaign, which I thought was really smart. I, and that, that was a main concept for ours. We planned it from the get-go. So when I told Jad, and I'll be very honest on this podcast, we did not make a profit on, on the first all-time wrestling. There was a loss. And we already started the project knowing that we we're going to make a loss. But it, we never viewed it as a loss. We viewed it as an investment to build a franchise that yeah. in the future would allow us to generate products that would, that would allow you to recoup that loss and then eventually make a profit. And to build a brand. And to build a brand. And, I mean, and, that, and that we've done. Because yeah. I mean, going back to the, the idea of us being uh, from, a, from a foreign land with, uh, with weird names, is like <laughs> one, one way to get yourself noticed and to get yourself taken seriously is, is, is to sign some major IP. And that, that, that mm -hmm. I think, has done a lot to uh, build the brand value of, 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 of Katayan Arts, having, having the names like Kurt Angle, the British Bulldog, and uh, Randy Savage, Andre and now, the Giant, Andre Giant yeah. and now in the, for the Extreme Expansion, Raven, and Sabu and Rao Van Dam and many more and to many come. more to come. Yes. So yes. having those 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 uh, uh, names associated with your brand do does a lot, and and this is this is why we don't shy away from having a high fixed cost and or irrecuperable cost for for a project like ATW because it is a brand building franchise more than just a, a game franchise of its own. And and we had we were lucky enough to have that cushion because and this is I think where we're going to maybe shock some of the listeners who haven't heard of this model before. 70% uh, of our revenue comes from businesses or 75% of our, our revenue. So most publishers out there are getting most of their revenue from customers. Uh, and what happened and, and the reason why we've switched our business model accordingly was uh, this was before Jad joined. I just launched Conquer. I was so happy. We we're doing well on sales. We, it wasn't crowdfunded. It was just you know, selling through, yeah, self-published through the website. And two months into it, the whole marketing was bring six people to the table and let's play together. Two months later, COVID hits. So, um, you know, uh, that was a disaster because my sales went from, you know, generating 50 or 100 sales a month to, to literally zero sales for a period of eight or nine months. And I, I really thought hard about closing that company down. And in, in my past life, I, I funded about, I don't know, about 40 or 50 startups as part of my previous jobs. And. I worked with about 600 entrepreneurs. I said, what did I learn from all these experiences? And my learn was we need to pivot, you know, if you really care about this and you really want to do this. And the way we pivoted is I kept, you know, brainstorming and I had already one earth designed. And I said, why sell that just to consumers? Why not sell that to businesses? 
And uh, I went to businesses and I sold this amazing idea of a project that is not educational in a boring way. It's what we call edutainment, where it's fun. You don't even feel that you're learning or you're getting uh, taught something, but you are learning something through this game. And I made a pitch of why not do you know placement advertising in a, in a nutshell through our board game. So if you pick up on Earth, you'll find a famous building in Abu Dhabi. You'll find a famous uh, you know a famous organization called Mazdar, which which helped sponsor the game, and all that business revenue that we were able to generate became a war chest that we had as a business to launch our B two C business. Uh, so you have, which you have product placement in in your game. Yes. So so if you. So if you open uh, if you open uh, one Earth, you'll find Mazdar at at the at the beginning um, uh, sponsoring the game, and then you'll find Aldar, which is a major property developer, printed on the cards. And what what that did, which is amazing, by the way, is before we went to GameFound, we had sold a couple of thousand copies at the very least to these sponsors, because wow. part of the sponsorship yeah. agreement was we're going to pay you for the sponsorship and give us a hundred copies, and they got it and they saw their brand on it and they saw how much people enjoyed it and they said. Can you oh, give wow. us more? Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> so, so you know, we're, we're very lucky that they supported us and they believed in us. But what we ended up doing was was generate revenue from selling to businesses and from product placement, and that became mm -hmm. a war chest. And then I sat down, and this was right before Jad joined the company, and I was thinking about the finances, and I said, "This has legs to it." And by the way, we've done another game that's coming out soon. Uh, that's going to be sold with every house that you buy in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's going to come with with that game. It's the major developer in Abu Dhabi, Aldar, commissioned their own game, right? Wow. So breaking the news on this podcast, and and yes, <laughs> and that you know that generated obviously some good revenue that were. And I said I can do this for a couple of years, and I can generate maybe two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, and that would be amazing, right? Or I could risk it. And then, you know, that, that B2B model might not have enough legs to keep going and generating that amount of revenue. I could risk it and I could put all that money into really funding a, a, a strong B2C product and launching different products and, and acquiring the IP that Jad has talked about. And that's what we've done. And that's why we've been able to offer ATW, the base game, for $29, even though yeah. we've been able, because we partially subsidize that. That's why you see our shipping rates are partially yep. subsidized. We're using that B2B model to invest in that B2C and build something sustainable so that when we have scale, we're able to offer those prices that you see today without having to subsidize it. And that's what's happening right now. Well, that is very smart. Smart and so, yeah, just, um, just to be like clear, above so my what ended up happening is that <laughs> those sponsors uh, bought those copies for uh, large schools. And they, so there was I think it was grade eight or nine in uh, in, in in all of Abu Dhabi. They, they uh, in a specific school. They all received a copy of the game. They went out as like corporate gifts. Like all the employees of the major corporation, they received uh, a copy for for the Christmas gifts. So it it made quite a quite a big buzz around around town. And and uh, the product placement was so tastefully done, mm -hmm. where. It, there was no logos except very small ones on the box, uh, one logo on the box. For the cards themselves, the artwork was seamless. It was in the style of the game. All of these buildings were recreated in the style of the game, and they had the and, and there was no logos on the cards themselves. So when you're playing the game, you don't feel you don't even know it. You don't even know it. Yeah, yeah. There's Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi as well. Awesome. Uh, that 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 that's an. Uh, 
an organization you might be familiar with, the Cleveland Clinic Hospital. Their Abu Dhabi yeah. uh, franchise is is in the game. Fantastic. You know, there is one other case study that I can point to that followed this model. That company is called USAopoly. They yes. created Monopoly yeah. editions for local cities. Yeah. And that's how they started. And now they are in, you know, they're doing like, you know, Harry Potter Hogwarts battle and all sorts of other things like that. And, but they also have this model of, Hey, you know, municipality, would you like a monopoly edition with your city name? Um, <laughs> then, you know, they're, they're, they'll do that, but you know, obviously they're not going to be able to sell millions of units for, you know, some small podunk little town, but they'll do that anyway. Because it it's like a um, I don't know it's just it's it's really a really cool way to to you know to, I mean that that city has all sorts of businesses that want visibility they have all sorts of um, pride in in what it is that they do and who they are and then that sort of thing you know Fallbrook has the avocado festival and yeah. La Jolla has the the La Jolla Shores in fact I believe in Southern California USAopoly. It, that's where they're located. The very first Monopoly edition they did was for the city of La Jolla, um, which is a small but very beautiful town in Southern California with a great bay and so on. And um, so I, I love what you're talking about. A- Andrew, models. I mean, I don't know if you've checked out Made in Japan on Kickstarter. Yeah. The, as uh, successful as that project was, I was mm-hmm. pulling whatever's left of my hair on my head out. And I, said, <laughs> I hope they got some money from Japan for this yeah. right because it mm-hmm. does, it did promote the country as a whole and it it, it feels like a, a low yeah, hanging by AEG let's go to Japan by AEG it was very yeah. Yeah. yeah you're right i mean that is something that you i feel like AEG has the same opportunity with that particular campaign yeah. they did something like let's go to russia let's go to wherever right i mean that is something that you can pull companies from those locations that want to be featured or you know i I think that you could probably even get grants exactly i was about to say that so there's another thing for for instance in ireland you could go to the tourist board and you could potentially apply for a grant you know to get funding to you know promote your game about ireland you know if if that's something you're doing so depending on your country and your location there might even be government opportunities for you to to dig into that can help uh, promote a, a government agenda whilst also getting funding for your game absolutely and 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 don't just think about it from a government point of view or even a private sector point of view don't even think about it as producing a game for the crowd funding element sometimes you produce a game for leadership uh and i don't mean a country's leadership i mean a leadership a corporate leadership so you know you, you there are all kinds of exercises that you can do with with a, a corporate leadership that that builds you know that team that or or like uh, removes certain misconceptions or aligns the team you there might be a specific game that you can produce for a company where you charge maybe a thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollars and you know you can use kind of no artwork you know nothing fancy and that could be a decent source of income a couple of thousand dollars here a couple of thousand dollars there that can help you complement whatever you're doing and and uh, full time with with your other products that's really smart. And, you know, I think I'd really like to hammer on one point that I hear a lot from first-time designers. They are very passionate about the project they want to make. They just simply want to see it enter into the world 
and they want to, they want to give this gift to the world and they'll do it for as little as possible. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time board game designers, you know, we have maybe misconceptions or, or, uh, assumptions that we make based upon our personal situation. And then we project those assumptions onto backers. For example, like if I don't, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of disposable income, I might think I need to be as like make the game cost as little as possible because other people aren't going to have a whole lot of income to yeah. buy this and that's not necessarily the case in fact board games are you know kind of a luxury product you know if you need to yep. you know buy diapers and baby formula and food you're not gonna you know and that's the only disposable you don't have any disposable income that's you're not probably going to have a board game shelf that's very large i think that sometimes these misconceptions and issues cause people to be unprofitable so that they cannot continue. And the first time mm -hmm. designer that says, I just want to make something, I'm going to charge as little mm -hmm. as possible. If my game costs $10 to make it the manufacturer, I'll sell it for 20. And you know, that'll be, that'll be great. And then, then they realize they actually lost a bunch of money at the end of that campaign, or maybe, maybe even at the very worst, they cannot fulfill it. I believe that games that, you know, projects need to build momentum and part of that momentum is money it's it's what makes everything work we need money to make things happen and you need to absolutely. be able to build a, to justify what it is that you're doing you know and a absolutely so. and and you know that was part of i think uh and andrew you might remember this conversation between us part of my frustration was trying to accept that people are going to see us as first-time creators when we sent to atw and in my yeah. head i was like but wait we've already you know published <laughs> conquer and one earth was already doing all that kind of money i'm probably yeah. much more reliable than 90 percent of the publishers out there because i i already started forming that war chest if something went wrong i would have still been able to fulfill it but at the end of the day it's also not the reality it's the perception of things and this yeah. is another thing that you you need to keep in mind if you're starting a project from a place uh, that maybe people haven't heard of there's there's always going to be something in your head that says do I trust this backer? Have they done this enough times? You know, uh, do they, or this, or this, sorry, this, this creator, excuse yeah. me, this, this, uh, this creator, this publisher, this publisher, do I trust them? Can they, are they able to deliver? You know, what is this company? I haven't heard of it before. Oh, it's in some strange country I haven't heard of. So that's a, an additional disadvantage that you, you kind of need to get over. And my advice to first time creators is something if I went back in time, I would definitely do. Start off with a PNP campaign, something super simple. Gain the confidence of your backers by one or two projects or like a micro game or something that yep. doesn't require that much of an investment. And then once people know you and once people have seen yep. your quality and everything, that's when you can start building on more complex products. Yeah, I, I definitely think that a strategy like that, that has been thought through and, and it executed properly, it, it just makes you look like an overnight success. But, yeah. you know, you only spent, I don't know, five years to become an overnight success. The, you know, the, I, I think that the, you know, it's the using more adages and more cheese, um, the iceberg, you see the top 10%, you don't see the, the bottom 90. Right. And, and, um, I, I find that I built this massive project because I was very passionate about it. I was kind of convinced, all right, I'm going to build this massive project because that's what I'm passionate about. And I read the Stonemeyer games article that said, Hey, make the thing you're passionate about. Should you make yeah. a big one or a small one? And it's like, you know, I kind of, I, I, you know, I guess now that it's all done, I wouldn't take it back. But if I were to go back and, you know, design like a small card game first, I yeah. feel like, 
I would have learned so much and I yes. would have probably shaved four to six months off of the fulfillment of this game. Mm. And, uh, you know, I would have made fewer design, you know, uh, Listen, I, you're I, a Texan now. Everything needs to be bigger. I know. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, <laughs> foreign countries with, with like people with weird accents. And stuff. I, my last yeah. advice to anyone who's listening, big creator or not, and I'm not giving you advice as uh, Mo from Cat Eye and Arts, giving you advice from someone who, you know, who's, who's run some large organizations in the past. I think the one rule that I will never break in business is I do not go back on my word. And that is so important, so important. Even if you, if you mm -hmm. give your word on something and you figure out that that's going to affect your bottom line, it's going to put you in the red, whatever it is. Trust me, mm -hmm. it's so much worse to go back, especially yeah. with a bunch of backers, 100, 200, 1,000, no matter how many mm -hmm. they are. It's so much worse to go back on your word than to yep. take that pill and try to figure out how you can make that happen. So that's my number one advice is always keep your word because that's how you build that trust with these virtual people that you're, you, you never see. I mean, remember, you're mm -hmm. not at the retail store meeting these people and shaking their hands. They're trusting you online, right? Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because it kind of cuts me to the heart when you say this because I, I in, in, in a good way, I had this situation that arose with Deliverance. The very last day, we knocked down all the stretch goals the previous day. And now I have, you know, 20 hours or 24 hours left with no more stretch goals. And I'm like, I want to do one more thing just <laughs> to give people that last little motivation. And it was the only thing that I did not plan for. I thought in my head, I'm like, all right, I'll just, I'm going to do alternate art for two characters because people yeah. had issues with two characters that were shirtless. They're like, well, you know, I don't want these guys to be shirtless. I want them to be, you yeah. know, have like a different look. And, and I was like, you know, I can actually do that. I'm going to have my artist do an alternate art version for two different characters. And we'll include that in the game. And it was my 777% funded goal, right? And uh, <laughs> like 300,000 goal. And so we ended up blowing past that. It was like 300 and, you know, we made an extra $11,000 uh, beyond that. Nice. And what I didn't realize was that the art pieces would cut, you know, all together would cost me about four to $5,000 because our angels are very expensive. But in addition to that, I didn't think about the cardboard cost. So the cardboard cost, is an extra few thousand dollars because we have several thousand backers. And then in addition to that, the extra weight. And then in addition to that, where is this going to go? Because it won't fit in the box. So oh. I thought, yeah. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I can maybe like shrink wrap it to the top or whatever. I, 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 I realized like I made a big mess. I am spending about $15,000 <laughs> on this to do this. So I thought, okay, maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll just tell people, okay, I'm going to include these characters in a future expansion. You know, Michael the Archangel is going to get an alternate art and maybe he'll get an alternate uh, like set of abilities as yeah. well, which would be really cool. However, that would be breaking my word to these people because yeah. I said I would do this and I'm telling them I'll do it later, but you're going to have to pay more money to get it in the future too, because it's in a different box. And I actually thought that was a really good idea for a second, you know, for a, for a hot minute. I was like, okay. I think, I think this will work. I think people will buy it. And he started putting out little bites in our social media, asking what people thought. And, and they were like, oh yeah, you know, I think that'd be great. I trust you, whatever it is that you do, I trust. And then there was like one guy out of a hundred that was like, mm, you know, you promised that. And, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I'm okay with it. I guess I'm okay with it. It's not a big deal. And then I realized my wife actually, we were talking about this and she was like, you have to, you have to include what, whatever you promised, you have to find a way to include it because if you don't, you know, it's going to be a problem. And I realized that this would be a moment 
that if I did not find a way to include it, that people would always be able to look back and say, you promised this and you did not give it to us. So a huge, huge problem for, uh, for, the, for the future of our company. Uh, what we elected to do was we elected to do a, a front and back uh, double-sided card with the alternate art and the, you know, the character. So it ended up working out in the end. It wasn't too ridiculously expensive, but man, we lost probably about $10,000 that I did not expect to lose. The one who is faithful with little can be trusted with much, right? And so if you can't be faithful with the little that you have now, then why would future backers trust you with more later? You'll always have that one backer that's like, salty about your the, the decision you made it's like oh this one time you know you decided to rob us of the art that we that you promised you know and so i i love hearing that story and it's honestly music to my ears it's something i i live by and i think it's super important toward the beginning of of our conversation we talked about this idea behind you know you have to just get your game out there you can't just sit there and play test over and over again uh, the the phrase that I thought about was perfect is the enemy of good. That was what it was actually my high school wrestling coach would share that, you know, perfect technique is the enemy of good technique where, you know, you want to do it perfectly. So you're going to take all the time in the world and think about it, but good to, you know, just do it a hundred times and then your technique will be pretty darn, pretty darn good compared to where you started. And I think the same is true with making games. You know, it's, it's one of those things that people, they hold on to their, their baby, the, the, the game that they've been making that they really want to see enter into the world. And I think that they hold themselves back. In fact, we have people that, uh, you know, we've worked with that have held a game that has really been ready for the last seven years. And they've iterated and changed things and whatnot into four or five different iterations of, of a decent game. And it's never been published. And I think that there's really just actually a fear of what if people don't like it? So I kind of feel like release a different game. If this yeah. is the one that has that your self-esteem is tied to, release a different one. Um, just do something, but don't play test and just kind of sit on your thumbs. Uh, what do you What do you guys think about that? I, I absolutely agree, and the the reason why I agree with you wholeheartedly is because even if you work for ten years on a game, it'll never be perfect. Perfect yeah. is a uh, is a myth that uh, that has been sold to us, but in reality, you'll never ever create the perfect game. And and what has happened to us is every time we've gone to the market, and a reviewer or a customer points out something uh, about the game that we didn't that they didn't like, it's one of two things. One of which is maybe we haven't thought of it. True, but I keep sitting there and I say, if I spent another two years, I might not might not have thought of it. So I can't beat myself over it something I might fix in the second edition or as an expansion. And it's not a big deal if overall the product was well-received. But more importantly, people have different tastes, Matt. I've, I've been in these game design loops where someone tells me they don't like the dice, so I remove the dice. And then we play test with someone else, and they're like, oh, you know what this game needs? It really needs dice. And you, you eventually figure out that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you eventually figure out that... You're going to get backers. Some of them are going to be happy. Uh, some of them are not. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to maximize the amount of people that are going to like your product. And the people who don't like your product, they might not be your target audience if you've done your job right. But more importantly, I think you need to cater for them. 
So you need to carve out your niche. Yeah. The people yeah. who are gonna be of a yep. like-minded who are gonna enjoy the games that you are able to design and that you enjoy designing. <laughs> if you're trying to maximize your amount of customers by creating a perfect game that yeah, you're trying to balance your love for it with your customers' expectation expectations. You're you're trying to uh, force yourself into solving a conundrum that is unsolvable because you cannot please everybody. And just like as, as a final note, okay. I think if your game is your baby, the best service you can do for your baby is to release it into the world. I mean, as a as as parents, we all know you can't keep your children at home forever, so <laughs> you need to let them out. <laughs> I think yeah. you just. At some point, they need to get out. You know, I was talking, I gave a, a lecture on game design and whatnot earlier this week, in fact. And one of the things that I was sharing just, you know, in quick pro tips, like bullet points, quick pro tips in, in regard to this topic. So when people give you feedback that, you know, oh, you need to add this or you need to remove this, you need to change this. You should is the is the word or the phrase that that I find a lot of people use. The phrase you should typically means that people had a good time, they're engaged, they liked it, and now they're helping you to try to make it better. People that have no feedback for you, probably they might not back your game. I don't know. They If if you're playtesting with, with someone and they are full of ideas, a fountain of, you know, of excitement and trying to help you make it better, or, you know, maybe very passionate about like removing the dice or adding the dice or whatever it is, those people are some of they they may very well be your biggest critics and also the backer that just pledges all in because they want to help you make the very best possible game and so yep. you know you you may not need to you know you definitely don't need to implement everything that somebody gives you but i should i i would say you know always be grateful thank them for their feedback um i actually use the phrase thanks for your feedback i really appreciate it yeah um if i especially if i don't like something they're saying it's just like I'm not going to argue with them. Uh, it's it's very foolish to argue with somebody that's trying to help you. You know, it's like, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face, as they say. Um, <laughs> full of analogies today. But. So, guys, I know you talked about some of your frustrations not being based in the U.S. and not being able to get to a bunch of conventions. But are there any conventions that you've been able to utilize or leverage within the UAE? How, how is the sort of yeah. tabletop community within the UAE, does it exist? Um, it, and it, it, just your thoughts on that. It definitely exists. It's not the US market. The country has about, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 million people. So it, it's a much smaller country, obviously. But there is a vibrant scene in both Dubai and Abu Dhabi. But I think the, uh, the game preference is mixed because uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, uh, about 80 or 85% of the population is expat, which means they're not from the country. They're from the U.S. and from the U.K. and from Germany. So it's really a blend of uh, from India, Asia, Lebanon, India, Lebanon, Lebanon, from everywhere, from Africa. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's this blend of taste. And what I can tell you is at least you, you'll find the typical board gamer that you you probably met a, a lot in, in your home country. But then you'll find board gamers here who are just getting into the hobby. And the kind of games they enjoy are probably the games that are shunned uh, upon by uh, by some uh, by the alpha gamers, by the alpha gamers, gamers and by some yeah. players elsewhere. So like big in the region, anything that has bluffing is just is going to take off like crazy. 
uh, with with the casual uh, local audience. Anything that has messing with your opponents will take off in a massive way. And it's a it's a it's a different. And I'm talking about the mass market audience. It's a little bit different than what you would expect in other countries around the world. Yeah, I mean, even even the the the, the hobby game audience, the alpha gamers here. Even though the, the 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 number isn't as big as in other countries, but a lot of everybody here has a good amount of disposable income. So I have three four hundred games in my collection, and I'm considered to have a to be a moderate kind of a board game collector <laughs> compared to some of the people in my in my board game uh, club because I I I don't go for the, all of the uh, fancy add-ons and the metal coin and I don't always have the latest and greatest Kickstarter so yeah I mean no there there's definitely a small um, uh, community that's very vibrant and shout out to everybody in uh, the Dubai and Abu Dhabi board game community and in terms of conventions that we've been able to utilize strangely enough it has not been there's 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 no board game conventions here but what we've, but what we've, what we've been able to utilize are sustainability conventions and the broader, uh, the broader Comic Con uh, that that happens, uh, the Middle East Film Festival and uh, Comic Book Convention at at sustainability convention is always uh, very interesting because everybody's sell, selling solar panels and uh, <laughs> uh, different uh, garbage disposal and I don't know what, and we're here with a board game and like you 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 get. Uh, you get sales and you just get interest out of just the novelty factor, and it's yeah. helped us. It's helped us actually build a lot of connections with it within that that sphere, that sphere of business. And uh, at Comic Con, it's uh, it's really tough to get noticed, um, just because there's so much video gaming, there's so much cosplay happening. There's it's so vibrant and so out there that i mean it, it it goes well usually but it's it's, it's a tough sell it's a m much tougher sell um, yeah fine. we will be able to attend the uk games expo in birmingham next month so oh, yeah. i'll see you there yeah yeah that's <laughs> I, I really look forward to uh, to seeing you sean and uh yeah we're, we're and we're in discussions to to attend uh Essen as well so hopefully those will be our to two well, our first two conventions yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a table as part of the, the Games Quest area. So um, shout out to uh, Paul and uh, all the Barnaby and all the guys at uh, Chip Quest and Games Quest who do an excellent job of helping us continue to uh, serve uh, ATW orders customers now. And now that we're selling the game on our, uh, on our website. So <laughs> and That's who awesome. helps us to build the too. campaign during the campaign as well. Yep. I love, I love those guys too. So man, well... It's been a real pleasure having both of you on and good luck with ATW. The last question I have for you is how can people find you? Um, what are you doing right now? How can people support you? Um, so there are two places they can find us. Uh, there's Cat Iron Arts, so C-A-T-I-O-N-A-R-T-S.com. So that's Cat Iron Arts. You can find all our published games there. And there's obviously the Kickstarter that's currently live, the Extreme Edition, uh, Old Time Wrestling Extreme Edition. The starting price there is at $34. You can get a pack with Raven, Sabu, RVD. It's a fun-to-player game. There's a bunch of add-ons that allow you to add more wrestlers, uh, add, add more match modes. And we've, we've already been funded. I think we're 400% funded by now. And we have 
probably around 10 social goals um, or 10 stretch goals, excuse me, that have already been unlocked. So it's a good campaign to get behind. Even if you're the casual wrestling fan or the uh, lapsed uh, wrestling fan, I think you'd really enjoy this game. Because if you're a wrestling fan, you'd enjoy this game. But also if you like card games, I think you'll also enjoy this game. Like fighting games. Yeah. And if you're a collector that uh, is like, oh, I want to get everything from the first campaign as well, you still can. It's uh, if you can do, you can get the uh, all or nothing. Yeah, the yeah. all or nothing, uh, which is the all-in pledge from the first campaign as an add-on to whatever you pledge for this campaign. So, yeah, uh, and, and that's our biggest pledge. I mean, yeah. most people, all, almost all the new backers are going straight for that because they've now seen the videos. Because initially they saw that ninety-nine dollar, hundred dollar price tag, and they said, "Oof, for a wrestling game, that that sounds that sounds a lot for an, for an all or nothing box." But once people started talking about how much content you get in that box, everyone sold on it, uh, especially that massive solo campaign that you know, has tens of hours in it and multiple, multiple branching storylines and very highly replayable. That's so cool. cool. Yeah. And yeah, I, the reviews for the game are just fantastic. If you're a gamer that really likes strategy and tactics and, you know, playing, like if you want skill, if you want, if you're a, if you're a skill based player, or rather, if you're a player that seeks games that allow you to express victory through skill, this game is fantastic. It also has a really cool catch up mechanism. You can, I mean, it feels like you're wrestling, you know. Um, so I I think that it, I personally have a lot of fun with it. So um, well, and it's a, been a pleasure again. Um, I really appreciate you guys for joining us on our podcast, and good luck with all that you got going on. Thank you so much, guys. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Sean. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.